Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Thursday, June 29th. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Bob on a scheduled day off. Expected to be back tomorrow. We'll have our full three-hour block of programming for you in tomorrow's show. Uh, also, a reminder here for you, as the upcoming uh, couple of weeks, uh, a lot is happening here for us. So expected to be back in our normal three-hour block tomorrow, June 30th, and then we will not be with you on July 3rd and 4th. That's Monday and Tuesday next week in observance of July 4th holiday. We'll be with you, though, the 5th through the 7th, and then we're taking a vacation July 10th through the 14th and back on July 17th. So that's a programming note here for you on KDOS AM 1060 in regards to the sports zone and the extra point. We do have a lot left to get into in hour number two of today's show, so let's reset the scene with today's polls questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which, you know, the NBA free agency talk period can begin tomorrow, uh, 3 p.m. local time. Uh, players cannot sign until July 6th, but plenty is already uh, being thrown out there in the media, and I'm sure it's only going to pick up as we get into tomorrow and over the weekend. So my question here is, are you more or less interested in the NBA free agency process with the Suns' current roster situation? Right now, we have Same leading the way at 50% of the vote. More and less, each tied at 25% of the vote. So we'll uh, find out the final tally and answer it at 11.30 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, should the Suns bring back Tory Craig? He is one of the... Free agents that uh, played for the Suns last year and uh, I think fits in with what Phoenix needs currently as the roster is constructed. So should they try to bring him back? And the masses are on the yes side of things right now at 85.7% of the vote. No trailing at 14.3%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. So once again, time for you to cast your vote and we'll talk about it at 1130 today. Jeff Reuter of The Athletic set to join us at 11.15 to chat U.S. Women's National Soccer Team as the World Cup for the women gets started July 21st. Uh, group play gets started, so we'll dive into how the team is made up this year, uh, new coaching changes as well, expectations, how's the rest of the world looking uh, as the United States is looking for a three-peat in World Cup play. We also have a four-pack of tickets, not quite yet, though. July 4th, the Diamondbacks are home, host the New York Mets at Chase Field. The first 15,000 fans will get a patriotic tee. dbacks.com slash tickets to learn more and secure your tickets today. But that four pack is coming up a little bit later on in the show. And as I mentioned, free agency. Uh, the talks are heating up and you have the report from this morning here. Chris Haynes 
of Bleacher Report TNT. He has been all over a lot of different things going on with the Phoenix Suns, probably for the last month or so, maybe even going back to Jay Crowder's situation a couple of months ago before the trade deadline. So he has been uh, really reporting a lot on the happenings of the Phoenix Suns. Maybe it's because the Phoenix Suns are one of the teams that are moving and shaking things like like crazy. Uh, But Chris Haynes, he's all on top of it here. And he uh, has the report that Kyrie Irving is expected to meet with the Phoenix Suns along with the Dallas Mavericks and possibly other teams when free agency begins on June 30th. I had asked James Herbert of CBSSports.com, who joined us in hour number one about Kyrie Irving and just kind of the situation with the Dallas Mavericks that like, would it feel as though a ginormous loss for the Mavericks if they don't bring back Kyrie Irving just because they make this trade in the middle of the season. They do it, it seems like, to to try to make Luka Doncic happy, uh, to really give him somebody else to take the pressure off of him to score. Uh, there's obviously other areas of need that the Mavericks need to, to put together to make a more complete team. But if you don't bring back Kyrie, you kind of gave up a lot in order for a guy for 20 or so games and you don't even make the playoffs. So it feels like the Mavericks have to get this done. As for the Suns, I mean, the salary situation just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So even if they were to move on from, you know, DeAndre Ayton, I'm not really sure how this whole thing makes sense because Irving is eligible for a five-year, $272 million max contract. And in hour number one, I kind of just focused on the Mavericks side of things of, not bringing back Kyrie. I focused on how the cap situation makes very little sense to me uh, for the Phoenix Suns. And I forgot to kind of point out the other factor here. Uh, Do you want Kyrie Irving on your team? Uh, You know, talent-wise, basketball-wise, there's no mistaking how good he can be on the court. He is a great basketball talent, Um, but every situation he has found himself in, there is always some sort of controversy. He's always kind of been not available for different reasons, and that at some point, how does that impact how a team wants to, to build? Can you trust him to be with you in the locker room? Can you trust him to be with you on the court? Do you want all of that extra that comes with it when theoretically here the goal for the Phoenix Suns is to go all in to win a championship? So can he be happy long enough Uh, in order to just focus in on the basketball portion of things to get this all done. Uh, The other thing here is I think most people are in agreement. Most people are understanding how it all works offensively with Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker. If you throw in Kyrie Irving, does that work? I think there's some question marks, too, just about offensively, defensively, et cetera. Does adding him, that puzzle piece to to things here, does that work? So there's still a lot of factors, uh, but I think it kind of just stops with money because I'm, I'm not sure how the money portion of all of this ends up working out. So we'll see with NBA free agency, the talk portion getting started tomorrow, 3 p.m., Uh, There was a big-time event that happened yesterday, though, in Major League Baseball. 
It was a perfect game. A perfect game from Yankees pitcher Domingo Herman against the Oakland Athletics. The Yankees ended up winning 11 nothing, and Herman here, nine innings, no hits, no runs, no walks, nine strikeouts on 99 pitches. It's the first perfect game in Major League Baseball since 2012 when Felix Hernandez did it with the Mariners against the Tampa Bay Rays. It happens to be the 24th time a perfect game has happened in Major League Baseball history. And it's the fourth one in Yankees history. Don Larson did it in 1956. David Wells did it in 1998. And David Cohn did it in 1999. The Yankees become the first franchise with four perfect games and the White Sox trail with three. For Herman, he's had a very up and down season. I mean, I guess you could kind of say that for the New York Yankees, but for for Domingo Herman, it's been up and down. And when you consider the last two games before this incredible game last night, uh, he gave up eight earned runs, 10 runs in his last start against the Mariners. And then he gave up seven runs in the previous start to that to the Red Sox. So certainly not really coming in, firing on all cylinders, but I just likened it in my head to what can potentially happen to a golfer? You know, what what in your mind, because this is such a mental game, You're not seeing the ball go in the hole. Mechanically, you feel good, uh, but the results just aren't there. So what are what is the self-talk to yourself about how you have that belief that you can do it and that it's going to turn around? And I know, obviously, you know, playing the Oakland Athletics, but still uh, to go out there and to pitch a perfect game is really incredible. Uh, Obviously, it's a little bit different, though, because you have a defense behind you and they made some plays. Anthony Rizzo made a made a nice stop there at first to make sure that that uh, perfect game was intact. But, uh, you know, you still have to kind of feel good about what you're doing mechanically, feel good what you're doing mentally to to go out there and pitch yourself uh, just a good game, get a quality start, let alone go out there and pitch a perfect game. So incredible stuff there from Domingo Herman. And of course, it's historic uh, as he becomes one of four now in Yankees history and one of 24 in Major League Baseball. We uh, step aside, though, because we will be joined by Jeff Reuter of The Athletic to talk about the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team as uh, the World Cup is here before we know it. July 21st, group play gets started for the U.S. Women's Soccer Team. So we'll talk about who's on the roster this year, expectations for this team, how we can kind of expect them to play. We've seen games where they score seven, seven or more goals. Can we expect that again this season? We'll see uh, what Jeff Reuter's opinions are of the makeup of this roster. Any surprises that didn't make the squad? We'll talk with him next. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports.
SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. There is Women's World Cup soccer taking place here just before you know it. Uh, for the United States, things get started on July 21st. So thought we would pop on out, figure out what is the makeup of this U.S. Women's National Soccer Team and the expectations and all that's going to take place this summer. So on the KDOS hotline, we go out to Jeff Reuter with The Athletic. Jeff, appreciate the time on the program today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome here. Uh, for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, the World Club Cup is taking place July 20th to August 3rd in Australia and New Zealand. They are co-hosting the event. The U.S. team is looking for a three-peat. But first, let's go back for a second and talk about the new head coach for this squad who was hired back in 2019 to replace Jill Ellis. So what sort of field philosophy has he changed and how is his style different and how is he being received yeah um i think that so vlatko andonovsky is a coach who had experience in the nwsl coaching a lot of these players uh for their clubs so when they're not playing for the united states and the idea was that jill ellis was a coach who at times just kind of seemed to trust her best players and just say juliers will control the midfield to get us out of something we don't really need to get something more cohesive or more tactically dictated necessarily because of how infrequently international teams get to practice together. And so it was kind of put your best players in their best positions and let them cook. And instead, Vlatko has tried to do something that's a little bit more dependable regardless of the personnel on the field. So the idea that you're still having similar passing sequences, you're playing in similar areas of space, whether Roosevelt is starting towards the front of the midfield or you have someone like Ashley Sanchez or Savannah DeMello. So uh, is a little bit more consistent um, is one word for it. But I think what a lot of fans would say is sometimes it's a little more boring and that it's plodding along a little bit that the team is wanting to control possession for the sake of it rather than trying to find its avenues. It plays pretty narrowly. There isn't a lot of width from wingers unless someone like Megan Rapino is on the left or Trinity Rodman is on the right. So they do play a very uh, impressive style of soccer, I would say. But, um, you know, the, the, the days of the potential for players to just keep on scoring and scoring like it's 13-0 at the last World Cup, I'd be very surprised if this team pulls that off again. Uh, and that's not because of the talent. Uh, that's, that's mostly just because by design they're supposed to kind of ice a game out as they go. Jeff Reuter with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 having a conversation, U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. Before we get into the makeup of the team this year, it could potentially have a lot of new names on the roster uh, for people that are tuning in this summer. And some of that has been dictated because of very serious injuries that have occurred. So can you give us an update on injuries suffered to past World Cup members and maybe where the progress is at? I know it's a, a bit of a long list. <laughs> Yeah, it unfortunately is a long list, and it's you know just the, the saddest thing for the players most of all because you know that this is what they train for, this is what they practice for, what they dream of, uh, and you know just to be injured to miss a tournament like this is just really unfortunate for them. But you know I think that the the headliner is Mallory Swanson, uh, fans who only followed at the World Cups might remember her as Mallory Pugh, 
Um, four years ago, she was on the roster as like a, a left back, and, and now she was the leading attacker for the United States. She plays for the Chicago Red Stars and uh, was lining up on the left and was doing just everything <laughs> over the winter and over the last year and a half for Chicago and the United States and was scoring goals more often than any other player in the world, but unfortunately suffered a torn patellar tendon in April. So she was unable to return in time. She's, um, you know, in Chicago, uh, just rehabbing, probably will be back by fall, hopefully. Um, Katarina Macario was someone who really emerged over the last three years as being one of the best young midfielders in the world. She came back from an ACL injury, but just not quite in time. Becky Sauerbrunn, the captain of the program for the last three World Cups, uh, wasn't able to come back from a muscle injury in time, so she was unable to play in a fifth. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, Samantha Mewis is another one, actually, who is something of a do-everything kind of calming presence in the midfield in the last World Cup and um, was arguably the, one of the team's best players. But it's very hard to choose the team's best player from 2019, to be fair. Um, but she also was unable to come back from injury in time. So that's four really crucial players, three with World Cup-winning experience, um, who will be missing, but... Uh, I mean, there are 14 players of the 23 who will be playing in their first World Cup, and the hope and expectation will be that they themselves carve out their own legacies for the next couple of tournaments to come. Certainly names like Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Kelly O'Hara, and Julie Ertz uh, are recognizable for, for people and are back on the roster. For Julie Ertz, though, she has been away from soccer for a little while after giving birth to her, her baby. Uh, so what does she bring to this lineup, and uh, how surprising was it for her to, to make it back so quickly to this World Cup? Yeah, it's really impressive that she's back for selection. Um, I, I think that in 2019 and at the Olympics in 2021, I think you just saw how important Julia is to the team's midfield shape, someone who is able to kind of bail teammates out if opponents get past them, someone who's able to keep a little bit more defensive steel and metal, someone who's a little bit more of a, you know, kind of a hard-nosed midfield type rather than someone who's just going to try to cut passing lanes out instead of going for the tackle. Um she wasn't able to come back until April. It was almost a two-year layoff. Um, first, she had had a, uh, a leg injury, and then when she recovered from that, that's when she gave birth, birth to her first child last summer. So, um, yeah, a lot to come back from, certainly, and she's been looking good. She plays for Angel City out of Los Angeles in the MWSL. Um, she's been starting just about every single game, still popping up all over the field, as we remember. Still some rust to shake off, but... Um, I mean, the way that it's trending, she somehow timed it just right where she should be able to be a starting defensive midfielder. And, and that's a presence that the U.S. Women's National Team can always use. Jeff Reuter with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I did mention Rapino, Alex Morgan, Kelly O'Hara, and Ertz. Uh, they will all be players that are going to be participating in multi-World Cups. Also, though, you hate as an athlete having to bring this up, but with a World Cup being every four years, uh, age does become a factor. So is there any sort of reflecting that this could be their final run at a World Cup? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's pretty certain that at least for Megan Rapino, this will be her final World Cup. There was a, a real day that the, the roster uh, is a very wide range of ages, according to Alex Morgan, aged from 18 to Megan Rapino. Um, <laughs> if you Google, you will find it's very, very unlikely to be playing in a fifth World Cup after this. So she'll be playing in a more rotational role than you saw in 2019 when she was playing every single minute that she could. Um, but I think that the team can afford to with Sophia Smith, the reigning uh, NWSL MVP, playing on the left wing. 
Um, they'll be in good hands there. Alex Morgan will probably have to play almost every minute still. Um, she has not been scoring nearly as much as she used to since the pandemic, but um, she still is a uh, very dependable striker. She's a big game player. She's someone with experience, and she's someone who plays very well with Sophia Smith and the rest of the attackers, um, which is very important. Um, and you get to Kelly O'Hara, and uh, it was, she was a surprise inclusion as well, someone who is going to be able to provide a lot of the leadership, which is lost by Becky Sauerbrunn's injury, and somebody who is going to be able to step in in a couple of different roles. She uh, came off of a hip injury from last year, and so – She's playing in a slightly more defensive way than you might remember before her injury. If you when, when you last watched her in 2019 in that tournament in France, um, she doesn't get forward nearly as often for a cross, but she's better at stopping opponents one on one with her defending. She's better in the air, um, so she could play some minutes at center back as well because that's going to be a pretty young and inexperienced trio of players um, who are going to be central defense. So. Uh, they'll still play big roles, uh, absolutely, Rapino Morgan and O'Hara, but um, I think Morgan would be the only one I would think maybe would have a chance at one more World Cup after this. And, uh, yeah, you're going to be seeing a lot of fresh faces who are hoping to kind of inherit that same sort of uh, status and mantle for the United States women. Some of those younger players uh, at forward, you have Trinity Rodman, Alyssa Thompson, Lynn Williams, Sophia Smith. So what kind of sort of mix and match style could we see here from lineups and just how explosive some of these players can be? (laughs) Yeah, Alyssa Thompson, is she's the future for sure, Um, alongside a handful of people. But um, she's the first teenager to be called in to represent the United States at a Women's World Cup since uh, 1995. (laughs) It just goes to show you just how kind of ahead of the curve she is for her age relative to what usually gets called in. But she is really tricky on the ball. She's nimble. She's someone who's able to use her, um, you know, kind of youthful uh, vivaciousness to her advantage and break down a defender who's usually got a good positioning. She's quick. She's um, able to do a lot of things. I think that she's someone who's still pretty raw. It's unclear if she's going to be more of a player who scores her own goals or sets her teammates up to do the finishing. But um, you know, she will be able to pop in at key places on either wing. Um, Lynn Williams is someone who's older. She's 30, but uh, she is a fantastic pressing forward who barely missed the World Cup roster in 2019. Um, so I'd expect her to start. Uh, you get to Trinity Rodman, someone who can do a lot of that defensive work up front and set up crosses, can uh, be confident with her own shot. Um, really good at dribbling with the ball. She's just a, a fantastic player to watch. And then Sophia Smith is arguably the best player in the entire pool right now. She um, is great on the ball. She loves kind of dribbling around defenders and setting up her own shot, and she does it really well. She's one of the most accurate finishers in the world. So um, very, very good player to inherit the mantle of scoring responsibility from Alex Morgan. But um, I think what you'll see is you'll see a lot of young players who grew up watching, maybe not their teammates, but some of the teammates' old teammates. <laughs> and so, you know, we're idolizing this generation of players more than, you know, you think of the last two World Cup rosters and the, the impact of that 1999 team with Mia Hamm and with Brandy Chastain and Julie Foudy and Brandon Scurry. Um, that was kind of who they were watching. Now we're getting into the, the group that was watching Abby Wambach and Megan Rapino and Abby Dahlkemper. And it's just really fun to see that sort of lineage. And, and you can kind of see uh, just like some really impressive technical ability when these young players take the field. We've been talking a lot about the roster makeup here. Young players, older players, players who are unable to make the squad uh, that were going to have a major impact with injuries. So was there anyone for you who was left off of this roster that was healthy that was a surprise? 
Yeah, there were a couple. It's a pretty thin roster when you look at a center back. Um, and there are two center backs who have been playing regularly for the United States, Tierna Davidson and Casey Kruger, um, who unfortunately weren't selected. Uh, they're playing for a club, the Chicago Red Stars, that is not doing very well. It's a team in transition, and it's unfortunate to say, but that may have affected a couple of defenders' ability to make the roster. Um, Ashley Hatch is a, a very good striker, um, someone who is dependable for Washington uh, in the NWSL, but uh, only really plays that one position. And Blocko is a coach who values versatility. Um, and so players who can only play one role were, were generally kind of demoted in the pecking order. Um, A.D. French is a goalkeeper who had been Lost Jeff there for a, a second, but he is back, and uh, you were in the middle of talking about uh, the goalkeeper, <laughs> French, who was left off of the yeah. roster. That's right, yeah. So I, I think that there were players who um, – the, the bigger absences, frankly, are players who are hurt, uh, and, and that's no disrespect to the other players in form. But I think when you look at the, the, the kind of next tier, um, there isn't that, that big – you know, when you think on the men's side of Landon Donovan missing in 2014 and how unexpected that was, there isn't quite anything that's quite that shocking. Um, but there are some decisions that were made in terms of a player like Hatch or the center backs where you say, okay, so they're, they're trying to play a specific way. They're trying to have that sort of versatility. They're trying to find midfielders who can play defense, defenders who can play forward, whatever the case is, um, just to, to have rotated looks. And I mean, that's great news if you're a player like Christy Mewis or Savannah DeMello or Ashley Sanchez, who are some very talented midfielders who – otherwise may have struggled to get on the roster compared to other, um, you know, more specialized uh, players. But uh, I think it does make for a very interesting roster. It makes for a lot of different looks. So, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting how it all came together. I, I think that there are some, some clear absences, but, again, there isn't necessarily that I can't believe that player is not here moment, um, which is probably a good thing just for the team cohesion. Jeff Reuter with The Athletic right here on KDOS AM 1060. The Women's World Cup set to take place July 20th through August 3rd in Australia and New Zealand. And the United States here, as we mentioned, is trying to go for a three-peat. And that certainly isn't going to be easy in and of itself with a big mix of veterans and youth. It's going to be uh, heavily reliant there on the youth, as you've been talking about. But when it comes to moving away from the inner workings of the team, other countries that are trying to make a run at winning a World Cup. You do have, uh, you know, Germany that's ranked second in in the standing. Sweden ranked third. Canada is coming off of a gold at the Tokyo Games. So, what other countries here uh, should we be paying attention to that are have really solid squads? Yeah, this is probably the most competitive Women's World Cup in history, and, and that's only a good thing and an exciting thing. Um, for the United States and for fans, frankly, uh, I think it just makes for a better tournament in general when you have better teams. Um, you know, you, you mentioned some strong programs. You also have England, a team that just won its first major trophy last summer um, against the European competition, uh, which is kind of where the central power is right now with women's soccer as well as it is with the men's. Um, so England will be a team that lost to the U.S. in the semifinal in 2019 and will, you know, see themselves as one of the favorites. France is a team that they had a lot of uh, kind of cohesion issues in terms of the federation not paying its players well, and they have a new coach um, who has only really coached them once or twice. But um, they are a team with a lot of talent uh, that went out in the quarterfinals. Spain is a team that is uh, very delightful to watch tactically uh, play in a very fun way. And, um, you know, they'll be looking to uh, contend as well. And Brazil is the team that has a young generation of players who really have impressed. And, um, you know, they've kind of been perceived to underperform a lot uh, in major tournaments. And so they'll be hoping to uh, 
use the, the great Marta's last World Cup as a way to finally make that run. So very, very deep field. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the begged question, of course, is how will the U.S. do? Um, and I think that they should be seen as one of the four front runners. I think that they should be expecting to make it to that semifinal. And then once you get there, it really is just whatever happens on the day, whoever's healthy, whoever's available, whoever's playing well. Um, I don't think there's that same sort of it's the U.S. versus the world thing that we've been so used to with the last three or four. But again, that's only a good thing from a competition standpoint. And frankly, I think it's just good for the sport in general. You know, the sport in general has taken leaps and bounds here with the the U.S. women's national soccer team fighting for equal pay and uh, being rewarded that through through the through the courts and everything like that. So when now it comes to getting back on the field, playing in the World Cup, does that fight for equal pay put any added pressure on the players or does that topic really just go away? And the focus here now is turning to the action in Australia and New Zealand for the World Cup. Yeah, I think unlike French there or against unlike France in 2019, I think that they are much more equipped to just focus on their game. I think that they're in a better position to not have to be simultaneous advocates and athletes. Um, and you know, all that contract stuff has already been sorted out, which is only a good thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that you know there there is still a little bit of pressure on them. Understandably, I think that there are some fans who. You know, for whatever reason, they, uh, whether they, um, you know, are going to make arguments that are dated or that are, you know, unfair to the players, that's on them. But um, I think that there are going to be people who see them as having the last four years, maybe have heard more about the U.S. women's national team as people who are advocating for women's athletes rather than hearing about them as women's athletes. So it's a good chance to kind of remind them what they're all about, how they got this sort of prominence in the sport. And, um, I think it's a really good opportunity for them to kind of back up what they've been doing. And, you know, with this collection of players, I'm pretty confident they can do that. As we've been mentioning here, the World Cup gets started July 20th through August 3rd. So how can people follow along with your work for the World Cup uh, when it gets started, Jeff? Yeah, you can uh, find everything I do over at The Athletic. Um, and right now we actually new subscribers sign on for $1. So if you find an article of mine, if you just search Jeff Ruder Athletic, um, you know, I have a detailed player-by-player player breakdown of every single, all 23 who are going to be representing the United States. And so that might be a really good way to start and get to know some of these new names on the roster. But yeah, as my colleagues Meg Linehan and Steph Young will be in Australia and New Zealand covering the tournament. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. So yeah, it should be a good time, but you can find everything I do at The Athletic. Awesome. I appreciate your time, uh, expertise on everything, and we look forward to a fun World Cup uh, games th- uh, this summer. All right. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Once again, he is Jeff Reuter there with The Athletic. And he certainly is not kidding about his all 23 player breakdown and how nuanced he goes into it, all the statistics, all the the makeup of how this team has come together. So it should be a fun World Cup ahead uh, with group play getting started for uh, the United States on July 21st. We'll get into poll questions on the other side of the break. But right now, uh, turning our attention to the Arizona Diamondbacks is you can spend July 4th with them as they take on the Mets at Chase Field to enjoy some baseball in the air conditioning. The first 15,000 fans to the game will receive a patriotic tee. Visit dbacks.com slash tickets to secure your seats now. Caller number two gets a four-pack of tickets to this game. 602-260-1060 is the number. 602-260-1060, a four-pack to see the Diamondbacks take on the Mets on July 
4th. Once again, the first 15,000 fans to the game receiving a patriotic tee. dbacks.com slash tickets to secure your seats today. Uh, Caller 2, 602. 260 1060 we get into the poll questions on the other side of the break it is the extra point here on kdos am 1060 online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports if you downloaded the kdos 1060 app yet download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone Eleven forty-two, right here on KDOS AM ten sixty online at KDOS ten sixty dot com, and with the KDOS ten sixty app powered by SuperBook Sports. It's Thursday, it's June 29th. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Bob Kemp on a scheduled day off, set to return in the sports zone tomorrow. Um, Congratulations to our winner of the four-pack of tickets to the Diamondbacks game on July 4th as they are hosting the Mets, the first 15,000 fans to the game. Receiving that patriotic tee, visit dbacks.com slash tickets to secure your seat today. We'll have one more chance at a four-pack of tickets in tomorrow's Extra Point. It is poll question time. So let's get into it here. If you haven't heard already what the report is from earlier today from Chris Haynes, it is that star point guard Kyrie Irving is expected to meet with the Phoenix Suns along with the Dallas Mavericks and possibly other teams when NBA free agency begins on June 30th. That's once again, it begins uh, tomorrow, 3 p.m., local time we had a conversation with james herbert cbssports.com kind of getting us primed and ready to go for free agency as well uh you can podcast that over at kdos 1060.com as well as with the app kdos 1060s app uh so when it comes to the question here are you more or less interested in the nba free agency process with the sun's current roster situation uh more same and less and as it currently is for me I'm not sure that I'm entirely qualified to answer the question because I'm going to be paying attention regardless of whether or not the Suns had gone all in, traded for Bradley Beal. The roster situation is as it is currently right now with only six players under contract. So I would have been paying attention regardless of this. But I think that this makes it more because you really are on the edge of your seat to see how this roster is going to get filled. Um, you have very specific set of uh, monetary guidelines that are in place. The CBA rules have changed. Uh, the Suns are racing there toward the uh, luxury tax apron, too, and all of the ramifications that are with that. James Herbert did a great job of laying it all out as to what uh, the Suns will potentially be hamstrung with uh, moving forward if they hit this apron. So trying to fill out the roster, trying to figure out how to make it all work, uh, who you need pieces-wise to fill out the roster, who's going to be willing to take kind of a veteran minimum to come play here, who is kind of saying, yeah, I believe in this roster, I believe in the ability to go give ourselves a chance at a championship. I think that this has a, a, a ton of intrigue. And, and it's not even indicative of whether or not you believe that trading for Bradley Beal was a smart move or a bad move. It, 
it should just have that intrigue and that interest to say, where did the Suns go next? Uh, you also then kind of throw in DeAndre Ayton, and I know that the reports over the weekend were uh, that they they weren't kind of getting the value that they thought that they were going to get, and so therefore they're moving forward with DeAndre Ayton on the roster now. You throw that into the conversation with free agency, and I think you still have so much intrigue about how this team is going to look at the start of the season and we obviously know as uh, followers of the Suns that there was a very dark period of time you don't get the number one overall pick with things going really well. So there was a dark period of time, and they slowly started to build this thing back up, and we had the bubble, which changed the trajectory immensely. Then we had an NBA Finals run. Then we had what it felt like to be the best team regular season in the NBA, and the the feeling of the disappointment that came from uh, bowing out early in those playoffs. So we've kind of been on this arc as to what it is we need to take that next step. Uh, you know, so if you believe in, you know, Matt Ishbia and this vision that he has coming in, whether you don't believe in Matt Ishbia and this vision that he has, I think there's a ton of intrigue surrounding what this team is capable of doing, uh, what he's willing to sacrifice to do to put together a, a roster. I think it has a ton of intrigue here. So I would be voting on the more side of things for this question. The masses, though, are on the more uh, and same tied at four. 40% apiece and less sitting at 20% of the vote. That is the KDOS1060.com poll question. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOS AM1060, the Suns do have the opportunity to bring back several free agents. Um, off the top of my head, you have Tory Craig, you have uh, Josh Kogi, you have Jock Landell, you have Bismarck Biombo. Uh, you would also have um, Damian Lee as well. So there's a potential opportunity there to bring back a lot of the same players that were on your roster last season that you you know what you're getting out of them and uh, you, you know what to expect. So the question here, though, is about Tory Craig. Should the Suns bring back Tory Craig? And if you just look at what he was able to do last season, he put together one of, if not his best season in the NBA last year. He is 32 years old. He played well with Devin Booker. He played well with Kevin Durant. He earned uh, a lot of really solid, important minutes. Uh, I know it's a completely different coaching full of coaching regime, coaching philosophy, but at least offensively, you still have Kevin Young here. Um, 40% from three for Torrey Craig last year. He plays really good defense, and I think that um, you you want some sort of continuity uh, because you are kind of overhauling a lot. So bringing in Torrey Craig, he fits in well here. He, like I said, he played well with Devin Booker. He played well with Kevin Durant. We know what the hustle is. We know if that three-point stroke continues to stay what it is, that's going to be really helpful to space the floor there, the defense that he provides. Uh, and he's not going to be you know overly expensive. Plus, if you're Torrey Craig, you've been – with this team on and off throughout this arc of, of ascension. And if you're Craig, 
there's some questions here. If it's a fair deal for you from the Suns and you you want to see it through whether or not you can be a part of a championship winning team, I think that has some intrigue and some appeal to you as a player to say, yeah, let's run this back. Let's let's be a part of bringing a championship here to Phoenix. So I would say, yes, the Suns should bring back Torrey Craig. Obviously, there's Plenty of other things and uh, positions that the Suns need to address here, but I think Torrey Craig fits in really well. He would be a free agent that I think that they should have high hopes to be able to target to return back to Phoenix. The masses are in agreement at 85.7% of the vote, no trailing at 14.3%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. It's going to be a wild ride. I mean, it's going to be a wild ride. I know that the list of free agents, um, you probably have whether or not uh, James Harden makes his decision later today. Kyrie Irving and the reports that are already coming out today about him and who he's going to be speaking with starting tomorrow in Los Angeles. So the names necessarily aren't entirely blockbuster names, but how this all kind of fits together at least here in Phoenix, because I think James Herbert brought up a fantastic point. Other teams that have been in similar monetary situations as the Phoenix Suns have hopped off board because of the new CBA rules. The Suns, they say, no, we're all in. So how is this all going to unfold? And it really gets started tomorrow. We'll wrap it up here on the other side of the break. Gottlieb Show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Thursday, June 29th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The month of June is winding down, so I suggest that you download the KDOS 1060 app, uh, get yourself registered and follow along for the qualification process to be entered for your chance at a $100 gift certificate courtesy of Superbook Sports. Uh, It is that thing. Thank you portion of today's program. So first of all, we uh, have to thank you for listening to today's show. We also have to thank James Herbert, CBSSports.com for his uh, primer about NBA free agency, that that gets underway, uh, at least the talking portion of things tomorrow, 3 p.m. local time. Then you have Jeff Reuter of The Athletic that got us all ready for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team's run to a three-peat in the U.S. World Cup, which is uh, mid-July for that to get started. So thanks to them for their contributions. Podcast it, kdos1060.com, as well as with the app, kdos1060's app. Thanks to Corey. Thanks to Aaron for their contributions in today's show as well. Up next here on KDOS AM 1060 from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. Uh, Right now, the Phoenix Suns 
are introducing Bradley Beal to the media here. Uh, a couple of things of note uh, with James Jones sitting by his side. He was asked about free agency uh, and has been quoted as saying, what we do in free agency is an internal matter. We keep internal. There are plenty of great players that we'll talk to. Uh, and that was directly in reference to Chris Haynes's reporting from earlier that the Suns plan to meet with Kyrie Irving. Uh, so we'll continue to have uh, some tips Takeaways about that introductory press press conference in tomorrow's program. The Diamondbacks are wrapping up their three-game series with the Rays this afternoon. Zach Lytle versus Brandon Fott. Brandon Fott recalled from AAA Reno. This is all taking place because of Merrill Kelly's stint now on the injured list. We'll see how Brandon Fott does in another opportunity here up in the big leagues. Uh, 12.40 p.m. on Bally Sports Arizona. Former Arizona Cardinal, former Houston Texan, J.J. Watt is set to join the CBS team as an analyst. This had kind of been uh, rumored here for some time and uh, the official announcement coming this morning. So we'll hear some more of J.J. Watt's insights on the game in the uh, pregame coverage with CBS Sports. And with the news about uh, three Colts players being suspended indefinitely for gambling. There's certainly been a concerted effort uh, with athletes and, and different organizations to crack down on all of this. You had this week the NCAA making their rules known for their athletes gambling on any sport, even if it's outside the sport that they play or at the pro level, and what the violations will be. If a player does wager on their own sport at another school they will lose 50 percent of season eligibility players that influence games or have inside info bet on their own sport they could potentially lose all of their eligibility if a player bets on pro sports penalties then change based upon how much is wagered if they wager more than 800 dollars, they could potentially be considered for um, an entire loss of season or permanent ineligibility so the nca doing their efforts to regulate what uh athletes can do in the gambling and trying to protect the integrity of of that now that most states are moving in the direction of legalized sports wagering. As always, thank you for listening to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. Have yourselves a fantastic Thursday. The expectation, the sports zone with Bob Kemp getting you started tomorrow at 9 a.m. Talk to you then.